Today's sermon is from Luke chapter 14, verse 15 to 24. I will be reading from the NIV translation, the parable of the great banquet. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who have been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they, all alike, began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I am on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, What you ordered have been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in, so that my house will be full. I tell you, no one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Well, as we dive back into Scripture and as we continue on our journey through the book of Luke, uh, just before we do that, I want to remind you, as we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks, if any sermon or message uh, or any Bible study or small home group gathering, even though it's over Zoom, takes place and it creates a question in your mind. We as a pastoral team would love to engage with those questions. We've created an email address called questions at whiterockbaptist.ca and you're welcome to email through any questions to us. We'd love to engage with those. Uh, We've already had a couple of great questions that have come through, so make sure you're checking out our website and our Facebook page just for some of those answers. Uh, I'm sure that As much as we're learning as we answer them, I'm sure you'll be blessed by them. So feel free to check those out. Uh, I often joke, especially when we have gathered together before as a church body, uh, I often joke and say, we're Baptists. When we meet, we eat. And of course, sadly, that's not happening at the moment. Uh, And we all miss it. Uh, Yes, we miss meeting together. Uh, We miss congregating and and sharing together. And and of course, we miss eating together. Uh, We miss that fellowship. We miss that feasting. Uh, Thanks to COVID-19 and the various lockdowns in different places and and maybe certain kind of closures, uh, we haven't been able to feast. We haven't been able to enjoy a meal. And so as we think about enjoying meals together, it kind of makes sense when we read through the gospel accounts that many of the interactions that Jesus has with the crowds and with people around him, uh, they take place in a home around a meal. Maybe it happens that way because you and I, uh, we as humanity, we're created for community. Uh, There's just this innate desire. It feels right with the world when we gather together and and we share a meal together. We enjoy that time to Together, we enjoy doing life together. And so we see much of the Gospels, these interactions with Jesus take place in that environment. 
you know, I, and I kind of read through that, and I look at Jesus in people's homes sharing meals. I got to say, I think Jesus makes a terrible house guest. Now, don't get me wrong. I would love to be at a meal with Jesus. I think it would be incredible to be there to listen to him and, and just kind of engage. But I tell you what, I would hate to be the host of a meal with Jesus. It just feels like often those who host Jesus kind of get this confrontation where Jesus speaks to them and challenges them directly. We've been reading through Luke 14 last week and, and this week, and Luke chapter 14 takes place in a Pharisee's home, and yes, around a meal. But as we read last week, and as we went through this passage last week, it kind of gets to this point where Jesus says to the host, you've invited all the wrong people. I mean, can you imagine that? Can you imagine having somebody over? Uh, you've invited somebody around for a meal at your house, and you've served this meal, and, and, and this guest kind of looks around and then turns to you and goes, you've done it all wrong. You've invited all the wrong people to this gathering. And so there's this awkward pause, this awkward silence. And that's where we pick it up from this morning. In verse 15, uh, where one of those at the table heard Jesus say this, so they've just heard Jesus say to the host, you've invited the wrong people. Uh, and this person says, blessed is the one who will eat in the feast in the kingdom of God. And so that comment is also an awkward comment. This is clearly one of those guys who doesn't like awkward silence and kind of feels the need to fill it, and, and he'll just open his mouth and say something that comes to mind. Uh, and maybe he's trying to stand up for the host in a way. Uh, maybe the host is kind of feeling a bit offended, and, and this guy kind of goes, well, I've got to come to my friend's aid over here. Uh, Jesus has just said, instead of inviting friends, instead of inviting people who can repay you, invite those who cannot repay you. And when the resurrection takes place in the kingdom of God, well, then you will be blessed. And of course, because Jesus is talking about the kingdom and Jesus has spoken about the resurrection and about blessing, uh, it's kind of only natural that maybe a comment would be around the kingdom of God. And so it's almost like this guy interjects and he says, well, seeing as you're talking about the kingdom, seeing as you're talking about the resurrection and those who will be blessed, well, then let me chime in. Blessed are those who eat at that feast. And there are these two images that immediately come to mind in that first verse. There's this image of a feast and there's the image of the kingdom of God. And when we think about the feast, obviously feasting typically brings to mind those images of joy and celebration. We don't feast when we're mourning. We don't feast when we're, we're sad. We feast as a way of celebrating. So when there's a, a wedding or a significant birthday, we, we celebrate and we have this feast. It's an image that permeates Scripture because it's an image that the nation of Israel clung to. It started all the way in the Garden of Eden when we read of how Adam and Eve would walk with God and they would eat with God and they would feast and there was this relationship and it was the desire of God's people. In fact, the nation of Israel ha have this image in mind and Isaiah kind of summarizes it in Isaiah chapter 25. 
And Isaiah says, on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. When we read of uh, this image all the way through in Revelation, uh, this image of of heaven, sorry, in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 9, we read, Then the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And that's this messianic banquet that was envisioned as the ultimate salvation. It's this feasting in the presence of God. And so this image kind of resonates with us because we long for that feast. We long to be with God and and celebrate together. And of course, that's the second image. It's the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus has been preaching from the beginning of his ministry. From the very start, he began with repent, for the kingdom of heaven is now here. It's not this thing far off in the future. It's not something that's still coming and that we're waiting for. No, it is here. It has come. Now, of course, you and I look around and kind of go, well, Jesus, if if the kingdom has come, I don't see what I, I think the kingdom should be. It doesn't look very heavenly. It doesn't look like the kingdom. Theologians talk about the now and not yet of the kingdom. The fact is, God's kingdom has been inaugurated, but it has not yet been consummated. And that will come in the future. And so Jesus responds to this little interjection. He responds to this comment and those two images of feast and kingdom in the best way that Jesus knows how. He tells a parable. And we read in verse 16, Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. You and I might read that and and we might miss something crucial to the story. Invitations in Jesus' day were very different to the invitations that you and I share and experience right now. Uh, for you and I, let's think of it this way. Uh, you know, Cindy and I ha- had some friends around for a meal a little while ago, uh, the, before all the lockdowns, before the closures, don't worry. But ages ago, we had these friends over for a meal. And while we were sitting, eating together and just enjoying and laughing, kind of somebody made the comment, man, it's been too long since we've been together. Uh, you know, we can't let it be so long again in the next time. We need to make sure we gather together sooner. But the reality is we live with such packed calendars. Our schedules are so full, that was literally the only time they would coincide. And as much as we want to meet together again, we know it's going to be months before our calendars kind of coincide again. But this wasn't the way it was in Jesus' day. People's schedules weren't as jam-packed as you and I. But not only were schedules not jam-packed like this, Invitations were twofold. What I mean by that is if you were having some celebration, if you wanted to invite people around for a meal, you would go and send a servant or you would send word to them to say sometime in the near future, perhaps at the next full moon, perhaps at a particular seasonal time, I'm going to be having this celebration. We're going to have this party. Uh, Are you free more or less then? 
most people would know kind of their movements and their schedules, uh, and they would know, yes, I'm either free or no, I'm not. And so they would give their, their RSVP at that point, and they would say, yeah, sure, I'm free, I'll be there. And so as the, the servant goes off and invites, they would say yes, and then he would come back and let the host know. And this would let the host know how much food to prepare, and what to have ready. And then when the feast was now about to begin, perhaps the day before, they would then send their servant out. Go and tell those who said yes, the feast is now ready. The celebration is about to begin. Come and join. And so that's what happens. The servant now goes and says the feast and celebration is ready. And so we, we pick up the story in verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. So now bear in mind, all of these guests have previously said, yes, we will be there. But now they change their minds. And now they give these excuses, which, uh, let's be honest, these excuses are pretty lame. Certainly for the first two, fields and oxen, those can wait a week or two. Uh, and then the guy who got married, well, getting married, especially in these days, that didn't just happen. It's not like people woke up and said, you know, what, I'm going to get married today. No, no, there was a process. And so it's almost like this guest clearly shows, I said yes, but I had no intention of coming. Of course, there's a, a possible inference to the guest's wealth here. You know, rich people buy fields and, and rich people buy five yoke of oxen in one go. And of course, this could add up to the seriousness of Jesus' words coming in the next portion. And for those Israelites who are listening to the story, again, there's the, the metaphor here and there's the meanings in, intended within there. And the Israelites thinking, especially in this Pharisee's home, where the story takes place. They might have thought they were rich in their standing with God, yet Jesus is challenging them. Now, these excuses haven't just suddenly arisen. They would have known these things when they initially said yes. It could be said these excuses are calculated insults to the host. But I don't think we should get distracted by these three characters in the parable. I don't think we should try and overanalyze them and try to determine every little nuance of what they mean and how we can apply it to today, because I, I don't think we can. These guests are illustrative. They're illustrative of people who decline the invitation of God with ultimately pretty lame excuses. Specifically, they're illustrative of the children of Israel who've been invited by God into his kingdom, and they think they've said yes, when in reality they're not in the kingdom of God. And the application for today's readers is to pause. It's to realize you and I, we are all invited to join this great feast with Jesus Christ in the kingdom of God for eternity but God does not force us. We can either accept the invitation or we can reject it. And so therefore the question is, well, what will we do? These characters decline. 
And so in verse 21, the servant came back and reported this to his master. And then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servants, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And of course, that's almost a mirror of verse 13, where Jesus talks about inviting the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And again, Jesus displays his compassion. Jesus models compassion for his disciples, and indeed, Jesus expects compassion from his disciples. Jesus has always had a heart for the outcast, for the marginalized. Jesus has always been for those who the world declares less than. And as disciples, you and I cannot escape that gospel call for the undesirables to stand up for their cause, to stand up for injustice, to speak out against injustice. Whether it's through combating historical wrongs on race or sex or whatever it might be, uh, or standing up against those structures and those policies that continue to marginalize uh, people today. You know, this, this dinner host, these guests, they would never have invited the people that Jesus says we're to invite. They may even have been able to go back to the Old Testament, to the rules and the laws of worship, and say, well, those people, Jesus, they're, they're not permitted into the presence of, of God in the temple why would we invite them? And Jesus says, in my kingdom, my kingdom it will be filled with those. My, my kingdom will be filled with those who the world says are less than, who, who don't deserve. No, my kingdom will have them within it. And so in verse 22, Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. And then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. You know, Jesus' parable could have been fine without those few verses. But Jesus wants to emphasize this abundant generosity of God Jesus wants to emphasize the space available and open in the kingdom of God. There won't just be a few of those people. Uh, there won't just be a few of, of those undesirables. No, there will be multitudes. All the wrong people, if you'll pardon. All of those people who typically we look down on, they will be in the kingdom of God. In Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9, uh, we read, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And I hope that when you read that verse or hear that verse, there's a sense of amen in you. Because this is the image of God. This is the image of heaven in the presence of God. 
a vast, uncountable number of people worshipping and feasting in the presence of, of the Lord. You know, I, I, I caught a glimpse, just a, a fractional glimpse of what this verse speaks to. In Cape Town in the year 2010 or 2010, it was the Lausanne World Congress hosted. Uh, and I still don't fully understand why or how I got an invitation to that. But I found myself at this World Congress with around 5,000 delegates from all over the globe. And there were people of all colors, nationalities, cultures, uh, all and, and languages, all worshiping God. And I just found myself at one point kind of looking around and just aware this is a glimpse of what heaven is going to be like. All these different cultures and peoples and tongues and tribes worshiping God and feasting together and celebrating together. This is what heaven in the kingdom of God will be like. So what? What do we do with this parable? What do we do with this portion of Scripture? You know, I think as we read through this, there's both a practical and a spiritual response. Jesus has always been practical. The gospel is always practical in how we respond to the gospel. You know, one of the recurring errors embraced by lazy Christians is that all one has to do is accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, and boom, you're saved. You know, I remember in the, I think it was the late 80s, there was kind of this expression that came out, turn or burn. Uh, and so everyone was kind of, well, I don't want to burn, uh, so I'll turn and I'll get my fire insurance by accepting Jesus as Lord. And they were lulled into the sense of, well, that's all you need to do. No, my friends. Jesus' Jesus's invitation is always an invitation to join him in his kingdom and to work alongside him in his kingdom. To do the work of the gospel and the kingdom. To make disciples and to serve the marginalized. Uh, yes, we don't earn our salvation. We don't work for our entry into the kingdom. But my friends, we don't simply accept and then sit back on our butts doing nothing. No. The gospel call is a call to compassion, to generosity, to service, to speaking up and speaking out. You know, as R.T. France says, if salvation cannot be gained or inherited by privilege or by working to deserve it, it can apparently be lost by failure to respond to God's call. To have received and responded to the message of the kingdom of God is not enough if we then turn away from its demands and allow other concerns to supplant God's claim on our lives. There's always a practical response to the call and the invitation of God. You and I are invited to open our eyes and to look for opportunities. To look for opportunities to serve to look for opportunities to reach out, to look for opportunities to give, to look for opportunities to listen to the world around us, even as we speak to the world around us, to look for opportunities to share the gospel and to share our very lives and give our very lives in service of the gospel. And that's the portion that will come up next week. 
Yes, there is a practical response to this parable of Jesus Christ. It is to continue, to get up and continue the work of the kingdom here in the midst. But not only is there a practical so what or a practical response, there's also a spiritual response to this parable. You know, this parable of Jesus continues to surprise. It, it continues the surprises that Jesus teaches. Here is the reminder that in God's economy and kingdom, the wrong people always end up as winners. Salvation is always about grace, not pedigree. You know, yeah, if you think about elementary school, maybe you had this experience when you were in elementary school and maybe during a recess, uh, everyone decided, hey, let's play a game. And so to pick the teams, we'll separate. And there were two people who would always pick the teams. And they were go, okay, I'll take him first because he's the strongest. Well, I'll take her because she's the most skilled in this. And I'll take that one because of their ability. And, and slowly, everyone's getting picked up for the teams till eventually there's one poor kid left. And that poor kid, uh, they don't want the kid. And so you have two captains almost arguing, saying, oh, no, 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 we've got enough. You take that person. No, 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 we've, you take that person. Jesus goes, in my kingdom, I choose that person. I, I almost choose that person first. If you fall into that group of people who feel like you're too far gone or you're not worthy of the grace of God or, Brian, you don't know what I've done and, and there's no ways God could love me or accept me or invite me or save me. If you fall into that group, my friends, you're mistaken. There is no sin that the blood of Christ will not cover. You are not so far gone that the invitation still does not reach you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. God loves you and cares for you. The best way to illustrate this is with my own children. Occasionally, I'll sit with my children and ask them, do I love you? And they'll go, well, yes. And I'll say to them, why do I love you? And they know I love them because they're my children. And that will never change. Nothing they do changes the fact that they're my children. And so I will love them. Sure, I might not always be happy with some of the things they do, but I still love them. And if you catch nothing else from this story, if you catch nothing else from this sermon today, hear this. You are loved by God as a child of God. And Jesus invites you into the kingdom of God. There is nothing that can separate us. Accept the invitation. Come and join the feast. But maybe, maybe you don't fall into that group. If we go back to that illustration of the elementary school and kids being chosen, maybe you were one of the strong, sporty kids. Maybe you were used to being chosen first. Maybe not, or, or sorry, maybe your heart and your attitude of your own summation might lead you to think you're all fine in the kingdom of God. My friends, the Bible calls people like that Pharisees. Those who think they're worthy, those who think they deserve, when in fact they do not. Jesus, reveal the Pharisee heart. That's always my prayer. For those of us who might slip into that position that we might discover that Pharisee heart creeping up. And if that is you, if you're in that group in that camp, ask God 
for humility. That God would change your heart. That you would see your position before God. You know, as I read through this parable and as we go through it, how do we close off? How do we conclude? You know, in in Jesus' time, you were invited to a feast long before the feast actually took place. Which meant before or between the invitation and the feast, work still had to happen. Life still had to continue. There was still stuff that needed to be done. My friends, you and I have been invited to the most extravagant, uh, most awesome, eternally amazing feast that we cannot even fully imagine in the presence of God, in the kingdom of God. We're not there yet. There is still work to be done in this life and in this world. So until that servant arrives to tell you and to tell me the feast is ready and about to begin, so therefore let us go. Let us continue to work and to serve the gospel of Jesus Christ in the place where God places us and in the world that God places us. Let us seek to serve and to help those who are marginalized. Let us use our voices. Let us use our energy for good, even as we proclaim the presence of God. While it is still today, as you hear the invitation to eternal life with God, don't reject the invitation. Accept the invitation. And until God calls you home, do the work of the gospel. Of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Jesus, as we read your word, as we read this interaction in the home of this Pharisee, we are blown away at the, the reminder of your compassion and of your generosity and of your concern and your care for your creation. Jesus, each one of us is invited to join that feast and to share in the presence of God for all eternity. Oh, how we long for that feast, how we long for that day. But Lord, that day has not yet come. And so Holy Spirit, I pray, would you help us to do what needs to be done until that great and glorious day. Help us to serve this world in need. Help us to speak the truth, to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. And help us to look for ways to extend and to share this invitation to those around us. So that they too might join in that great wedding feast of the Lamb. Where we will eat and drink together in your presence. Oh God, would you bless us, speak to us, and move through us ultimately for your kingdom and for your glory. We pray this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.